everybody, welcome back to We and You, where we talk about the Kentucky Commission on Human Rights and a little bit about what's going on in our area. I am Terrence Sullivan. And I'm Brittany Cook. I Georgia. don't know that I know how to work Google Georgia. well enough to... The whole day through. Backup singer, come on. The whole day. Hold on, I'm trying to figure Just this out. Notes we Keeps Georgia on my mind. Georgia on my mind. I say, I say, Georgia. Georgia. The sound of you. We're broadcasting from beautiful downtown Louisville here in the historic Hayburn building. Everybody, welcome back. Um, today uh, we have me and Brittany, um, Hi. And, <laughs> and we wanted to start um, our conversation just a, a brief, a brief moment to touch on because we would be remiss if we did not to touch on some of the events that transpired um, at the U.S. Capitol during the certification process um not getting into the political aspect of it at all but really just reactions of what it felt like uh seeing our country on the news in a manner that i've never seen before i i'm going to assume you haven't either Brittany. no Um, not at all but uh in a way, and I said this to Brittany yesterday, um, that looked like what we, as the United States, previously would go into other countries to assist in remedying something like that. But it was us, our own people, doing those types of actions. And so I know for me, for multiple reasons, it was very disheartening because we know some of the underlying factors that led to that type of upheaval and disruption, insurrection, sedition, all of those words, um, really because of certain people's beliefs and their opinions and biases and prejudicial thoughts, um, it's hard. And so my, my personal feeling was it was, it was, it's still really tough to stomach that this is not that some of us did not know that that's who we are and have been, but I I might be more, more upset at the shock of, that some people have expressed about 
saying they did not recognize those people and they did not recognize this is who we are when I think the frustration is had people been listening to some of us, you would recognize, would have recognized years ago that that's exactly who we are. And so it's, it's difficult and challenging and all of those things put together. Um, what about you, Brittany? How did you feel watching the news yesterday? Well, I mean, in all honesty, there was, there was a, an essence of fury that I felt in terms of the, the different engagement between what were called Trump supporters yesterday um, and what are considered rioters in other moments. And, you know, I'm not one to label anyone for anyone in, in this space, but um you know, we, we've talked about the need to adjust policing in this state when it comes to violence being enacted on our people. Um, and I'm, we had somebody that was lost yesterday due to violence. Um, and I, I really wish that that could have been avoided, but I'm also concerned with how easy it, it was for people to encroach on our on our capital, on our nation's capital. Um, and, and that's being cried out throughout the world right now. And it's very concerning too, that not only were our own American folks in that space, but we also surely, I mean, I haven't looked it up, would have had um, foreign advocates in that space as well, which as you stated, we, as, as the United States were known for often going to other countries to assist in establishing what we see as this democratic gold standard. Um, and we really, I mean, it, it really puts us at a lot of, I don't know how else to say it other than a fearful state um, t in some ways to be this vulnerable right now and and i think a lot of people are feeling that no i think that i think that makes sense i, I to put a, a positive spin on it which that can be dangerous and i you know try to find the the positive in every negative situation and people who have listened can go back to our um conversation with Charles Booker about power out of trauma. Um, but I, I, one positive I, I hope comes out of any of this is that some people who weren't listening and weren't opening their eyes and weren't seeing more of where we are, <laughs> um, the people who were in denial or whatever, or just couldn't quite comprehend it, that they see this and they use that as a, a leverage to or a, a springboard to doing more humane and thoughtful actions and listening more and actually doing something about it now because you see the direction we're going. And mm -hmm. if you're driving down the interstate and you realize that the signs you're passing are are the wrong way or you know you missed your exit somewhere because you know oh wait i was going to 
Newburgh, and now I'm at Bardstown Road, I went too far, um, you turn around. And so I hope, I hope people saw what happened yesterday and realized that there were signs and we missed our exit. And so hopefully that's something that comes out of it. Um, mm -hmm. And I think we saw a little bit of that with the ratification occurring last night, at least from some people's point of view. I haven't established what my own <laughs> is on that. Um, but, you know, there was a challenge to our democracy that was occurring. And um, there was a challenge to 3.1 million votes in one of our states. You know, yeah. Some people had had change of mind with what that needed to look like moving forward in that voting process once everyone returned to the Capitol. So um, it seems like, you know, whichever way that looks for the majority or for even our listeners here today, um, change of minds are occurring, but we'll just have to, I guess, kind of sit back and see where that leads us. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, if, if people stayed up and watched the coverage on whatever network, um, there, there were a few who changed their plans and didn't object and do all of these things. But then there were some, even after everything that happened, uh, 87 of them, um, decided you know what that was fine let's keep let's keep saying all these things and challenging things and so they argued until what was it 3 37 this morning in the morning for a process that normally would take five minutes <laughs> mm -hmm. um and after everything that happened there were still some people who felt the the need to say no that was that was that was sort of bad, but not that bad. And they had good reasons. And that those people still seem to not see the signs and understand where we are. But hopefully they do come around. Um, and, and we have our own representatives in that space um, as voters and also um, ones that were on the ground. So, you know, if wherever you land in this, make sure that you're reaching out to your representatives and you're speaking your voice on what you would like to see from them. So for today, off of more off of the current events, just seemed appropriate that we talked about it. Um, we wanted to talk about just a couple things happening in the area of civil rights, equality, equity, human rights, all of those, um, just to, to get us started on a new year. This is our first time recording this year. And to really just talk about things that happened either right very currently or towards the end of last year, which really sets the, the tone for where we're going. Um, and so we each found a couple stories and things to talk about about that related to this area and some are a little bit more seemingly lighthearted but at the end of the day they're still very poignant and important 
and then some are just about where we stand in the space of civil rights and how the how it looks and how things are changing so i'll start with my first one if that's okay with you Brittany. absolutely go for it um i mentioned i mentioned we'd talk about baseball which i'm not a i'm a very big sports person baseball is not one of them that i completely we follow. We've the games together. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, it's it's something I like, but I don't follow it like that. Um, but this year, the MLB, Major League Baseball, announced that they were going to formally recognize the Negro Leagues as part of MLB's history. And what that means is they're going to incorporate stats and teams and history of the top Negro League divisions into the record books for MLB. And that's important because there are certain players who eventually made that crossover into the MLB and all of their stats, they may have been seen as lesser because They'd been playing for 10 years before they got switched over to MLB, and so they have fewer stats. And so historically, they were great. Historically great players that statistically you don't see their greatness in the same way that you see a Babe Ruth or Mickey Mantle or these white players from the same era who were not even playing on the same level as these people. And so it's interesting um, because one, one thing, one challenge with that is since the MLB and baseball, the non-Negro leagues, didn't keep, since they weren't a, a partner at the time and they were you know, in con in contrast to each other, uh, the records in the Negro leagues, because of the nature of how it was set up and some of the the way that they had to move around and they had to cobble things together, the records are not as complete. Uh, there weren't as many Negro league statisticians that were keeping up with every every pitch and every hit um, for these people. And so even now, in incorporating that into MLB's history, it still might look different. Um, but I do think it's good that they're at least acknowledging that this high-level league existed and all of these players who were excluded from your league, excluded from playing with your people on your teams that may have been playing at a higher level in just did not get that recognition and so hopefully there's some kid one day who is very interested in baseball but and sees more greats historically that look like them oh yeah that would be so wonderful <laughs> i mean it, it comes down to like equity you know you have this this entire league of people that are playing the same game as the white people, but they, they were being excluded for so long, even though, you know, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I'm sure that they weren't that dissimilar in terms of play. Minus the fact that you also have 
a lack of challenge from some of the people that were established as the greats, like you said, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle. Um, you know, you oftentimes, and you know this as someone that plays a lot of sports, you your achievement level is based on competition of those around you. And if you're not being challenged to the extent of the top competition, then you might not even reach your full potential. So there's just a lot of different variables there that really held back that league and and the players in that league. And I'm glad to see that they're being recognized now. Oh, me too. I'm in the article. This was a New York times article. Um, they were talking about this where one of the greatest players to ever play, um, Satchel Paige, who some people know that name because he did cross over. Um, but looking at his records, there are asterisks because there are questions about, well, he wasn't doing it in our league all the time. And so just looking at one of the pieces, I'm looking at it now, is talking about how he had so many no-hitters that he pitched. And they're saying he may have had a hundred and or they they delegitimize that by saying there's no way because one of the best white pitchers in the MLB has the record with having seven. And so this person who has, you know, <laughs> almost a you know 90 more than that uh there's no way that you should be able to count this guy's records because it wasn't in our league and so there are issues with how you do this type of integration because of the changes in how these things are viewed and so it, it's a good positive step um it's just still unfortunate that it even one, that they had to have separate leagues, but two, that it's taken this long. And so there have been other people who may have passed in their families without getting some of this recognition that they rightfully deserved years, decades ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and we're not even talking about like the idea of sponsorships and pay that would have been different in the two different leagues too. I mean, it's it's really astounding how much they were really just kept back. No, I, I think that's, I think that's right. I didn't even think about the, the legacy aspect of it. Um, just granted in the older days, <laughs> no sports didn't pay the way that they do now. There weren't $457 million max contracts <laughs> that people were signing, but these are there was a potential to mm-hmm. help generations of poverty just because these people may have had some access to wealth that they were kept from because of the separation of the leagues and so it, if we really want to go there MLB how about we don't just look for equality but we go with equity and look at some of these players and say hey your family could have done this in 
back then and you may have had X amount to be able to help your family build up a little bit. And we're going to basically reparations for sports. Um, (laughs) I I don't see that as a, a likelihood, but sports reparations, let's make it happen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you on that. You are listening to We and You here on Forward Radio 106.5 FM and forwardradio.org. All right, you can go ahead on your one of yours, Miss Brittany. Yeah, so um, I had just recently seen an article that um, had been published just day day ago, (laughs) Um, that um, basically acknowledged some of the concerns with civil rights in the U.S. and some of the identifications of what is construed as discrimination um, and where it should be enforced. So, Terrence, if you don't mind just kind of discussing a little bit real quick about what our office offers in terms of when a, an issue with discrimination is filed um, and how we identify whether or not it's discrimination. Sure. Although you are more than qualified to answer your own <laughs> question. Um, so for our office, the Commission on Human Rights, um, we serve as the protected or protection capacity for protected classes. Um, So people who may face forms of discrimination and to identify that, um, for the most part, we are more of a reaction. We help you if something happens, not a proactive, although we're trying to do more of that. And we do have a team that is that helps with that on outreach of what is discrimination and what is what you can and can't do. Um, but as far as the office goes, generally, it's more of responding to instances of discrimination by allowing people to file complaints. And those complaints are then investigated to see if based on a protected class, status a person was subjected to some form of discriminatory action be it being let go from a job or denied housing or some discrepancies in treatment in housing or a job um, or access to a public space or a public service or good Uh, and so what we do is we are able to investigate those and then adjudicate them in be it in a mediation or some type of settlement or through the court process or an administrative hearing that is conducted with the parties and an administrative hearing officer. So, but to do that, we look across our own Civil Rights Act and see, was there some action against this person, some negative discriminatory action that can be identified and proven that's in violation of our Civil Rights Act. And then we respond accordingly. Uh, We can also mandate training for those entities or individuals who have aggrieved a person 
that could be part of one of those settlement negotiations or conversations. And so it's, it's really a full service option here just to make sure that we're trying to both assist people who have faced discrimination, but also encouraging people to do right and discouraging people from doing discriminatory practices. Yeah. So one of the things that I love about what we are able to do that has become, in my opinion anyways, but but I think probably in most right now from if you're reading the media at all, is to be able to acknowledge um, non-intentional acts of discrimination, um, what is called like disparate impact. Uh, did I say that correct? Is that right? Yeah. You did. I, I like, um, I like disparate, but yes. Disparate? Okay. Disparate. I don't know. I've always said disparate, but you know, I have this funky little language from moving around the South. Um, and so, you know, with that in mind, one of the things that we're able to look at when we are keeping eyes on a case and trying to see whether or not there is cause to say, yes, discrimination did, did occur, is to basically keep in mind this acknowledgement of institutional racism that is being widely addressed in our era right now. and hopefully continuing to be addressed. But these new proposals are um, requesting that we have provable intentional discrimination moving forward. Um, To me, that looks more like intentional hate crimes. Um, But I'm not sure, Terrence, when you hear that provable intentional discrimination, where, where does your mindset so that's a good question. I, I think for me, it, I, I, I tend to shift to legal thinking then of proving intent because anyone who does any – well, in criminal law, we'll, we'll go with criminal law, um, there has to be – for proof, you have to have the mens rea component, which is you had the mental – intent to do whatever and then your actus reus whatever anyway so proving intent is important in some aspects and i understand it but for something like discrimination discriminatory actions racism sexism anti-semitism sometimes it's harder to prove the intent of something that's systemically embedded in you um and when you talk about needing to prove the intent for some action like that i think of the difference between murder and manslaughter Mm -hmm. and if you murder someone in kentucky uh you for like actual murder you have it's intentional you planned it you meant to go kill this person and then whereas manslaughter is a little different you're you could have voluntary manslaughter where you're just you know kind of should have known it probably would kill someone um and you have involuntary manslaughter where your reckless your disregard and all of this has caused substantial injury and i'm thinking about a person driving a car and if i'm driving a car 
I'm being reckless if I'm going 140 on the Waterson, and I should know that me driving like that could kill someone if I if we had an accident. Mm -hmm. And so if I did that, if I had an accident and hurt someone, I still knew that I could have done that. And in trying to prove intent as a the, the end-all be-all in something, it's like saying, oh, well, you know what, Terrence, it's fine. You were speeding going 140 because, like, you didn't go out there intending to kill someone. You were just trying to drive fast. So, yeah, you can get a speeding ticket, um, but the other results of your actions, even though you knew or you should have known that there were issues with what you were doing and endangering others, you shouldn't, I don't know, it, it's it's difficult for me to see something like that ha happen in the, the realm of discrimination or any type of hatred, because like you said, it's basically saying you have to explicitly say, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm burning your house down because I hate black people. Um, when it could be definitely inferred by your other actions and whatever, but adding this extra element of saying you have to have this provable level of intent, it's just, it's frustrating to me because that's the way that we got to where we are is mm -hmm. we've had, we give people the benefit of the doubt in so many spaces where people then hide behind the benefit of the doubt because they know they'll be afforded the benefit of the doubt. And so you can you can see it sometimes on people's faces when they know they have that smirk that I'm going to get away with this smirk because they know you can't prove that I did this because of a reason. And so, haha, -ha, joke's on you. I just had a conversation <laughs> with someone about... Uh, pregnancy accommodations and the accommodations being required in the workplace and we we're talking about people being let go or terminated from employment who are pregnant and employers saying no you had poor job performance blah 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 and so their true intent was really getting rid of the person for pregnancy related reasons however they change what their intent was on why they ha did an action and then it's like wink wink nudge nudge you're fine to do that continue to do that behavior and it's just to try to roll back civil rights protections and add an, a new wink wink nudge nudge that people can do is just infuriating oh absolutely and it affects our laws too so essentially um it's not an intentional act of discrimination, right? To have these like literacy tests for voters. Um, and that's been an ongoing talk back and forth. But when we look at the disproportionate rate of who is affected by those literacy tests and who has been affected by not having the ability to vote over the last, well, actually, I don't know <laughs> when, uh, when voting was established for all. <laughs> well, the Civil Rights Act. 
the Civil <laughs> Rights yes. Act was supposed to help with that part of it. Um, but right. yes, yeah, I get but you. But <laughs> it's it's still you know it's still being in question, being put into question now. Um, and if we look at this aspect of intentional proof that it that some of these laws are out to get specific people, um, essentially in this case, black people, um, then we're just continuing this ongoing argument that we've been having for decades. And and we keep saying, oh, well, this law is going to change this and this law is going to change that. And, but we're still in the same state. If you read almost anything by any non-white person in the 60s, 70s, 80s, they all acknowledged the issues that people are not wanting to acknowledge more publicly till today. So we're decades behind the work of Black, Indigenous, and people of color in our nation. And I'm really hoping that at some point we can start to catch up. Yeah, I, I, I hope we catch up. Uh, and I to also add into something I just said, um, also the Voting Rights Act, which followed the Civil Rights Act a year later, uh, was also to help with some of the mitigating some of that intentionality in some of the things like the poll taxes and literacy tests and all that. Um, unfortunately, in the past 10 years, eh, past 15 years, we've rolled back so much of the Voting Rights Act, which is why there is proposed legislation that was passed through the House of re reinstalling a lot of those protections from the Voting Rights Act, which not to go into a political discussion, but a lot of the things that people were alleging for the past election were not only some of the protections and access issues that the Voting Rights Act gave us, but there's also a second part of the Voting Rights Act that wanted to add to look enforcing the integrity of elections. And they had all of these safeguards put in place that mm -hmm. were to assure people that your vote was counting and that it was fair and accurate uh, and enrolling those things back in order to help increase voter suppression. Um, you also took away those back end protections that were there to help ease concerns of any voting irregularities and issues. So it's just interesting that people were now saying, oh, I wish we had these independent authorities that could make sure that votes were fair and accurate. Well, we did. And then you were, then people rolled them back. Anyway, uh, to, <laughs> to what you were saying about us being behind and not catching up, that really segues into what I was wanting to discuss from something else I read about the, the article was called Why Did Racial Progress Stall in America? And it just lays out all of these facts of things that have happened in the past few years that are different now and show that we're actually going backwards. Um, for example, the life expectancy gap between black and white Americans, um, 
narrowed between 1905 and 1947, but since 1961, <laughs> um, there hasn't really been much change in narrowing that gap. And by 1995, it was the same as it was in 61, and it hasn't changed since. Um, the black and white ratio of high school completion, uh, it improved between 1940 to 1978. And then after that, um, also in college completion also followed that same trajectory. But since the end of the 70s, that's gone backwards. Um, let's see. Income by race has, it came closer and closer. And then in 2018, where the disparities were last measured in this way, the income disparity is the same right now as it was in 1968. And we've actually seen downward mobility for black people in the United States while it's going up for white people, which that also mirrors into the racial gap in homeownership, which between 1900 and 1970 got closer and closer and closer, and then it's plateaued. And since 1970, it's gone down. <laughs> wow. So <laughs> in thinking about some of these dates um, and, and just some of my readings, it's really interesting to just, you know, I'll throw it out there, to look at some of these dates and to identify when certain integration systems were forced into place. No, I, I think that's a good uh, way to look at it. And part of this uh, this story I read, it goes more into some of the reasons for this. And I'll share two. Uh, we don't have time to talk about all of them. <laughs> but we talk, it, it says that America took its foot off of the gas in rectifying racial inequalities. Um, and it says that that coincides with the time where what we called the America we decades, where there was this sense that we're all in this thing together. And towards the end of the 60s and dovetailing in the 70s, America shifted to the era of I. And the I decades means everyone has gone more towards individual rights. And I can do this for me. And we talked about the American dream a few months ago, but this whole, I can do this and I can do this and I can achieve this. And that's one reason for this downward trajectory is people have, they crossed over from the, we got this, we can do this. We are one to, I am going to do this for myself. I'm going to do this for my family. This if this impacts me, and so I'm going to fight for this thing. But I'm I don't really care about I don't really care about voting the Voting Rights Act because I'm fine. I can go vote whatever. Um, and then another another piece, um, and this is the harsher the harsher reality, and I kind of alluded to it earlier with some of the issues that we saw in um, the Capitol, and it's it's this part of it is really upsetting for me as a black man, but there's undeniably um, 
this shift for, and I'm trying to find the way that they worded it because it's probably more eloquent and articulate than I can say right now, <laughs> but it's basically the way that they, that it's been described, and this is the same way I would frame it, so I guess they weren't more eloquent, uh, is white backlash and the mm. fear of progress of black people once you get to a certain point. And it's, it talks about the Civil Rights Act and how when it was after it passed, 68% of Americans wanted it to be a little bit moderate in how it was applied. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there's this very clearly defined trajectory of black advancement and white resentment and so there's a level where you get to okay yeah let's let's fight for equality let's fight for rights and then you start to see the advancement of black advancement of black people um and it's like wait i don't want them to get that close all right i'm shifting back and so looking at the homeownership rates when it's great that homeownership was going up but then that also meant if more non-whites were buying homes, the likelihood they were going to start moving into your neighborhoods because that's where homes are. And so then there's this, okay, never mind. I don't, I don't know if I want this. Um, and so if you look at the dates, the time that we started to fall backwards is once there was some, there were these kernels of black advancement and so you have the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, you have all of these things happen, and then there's this stagnation and then a drop-off because it's like, all right, you know, we let you all in the door, so, okay, now stay in that room. Um, and we saw it again in 2008 as we got there. We had a black man elected president, mm -hmm. and that immediately shifted some views to say, all right, you know what? Racism's dead. We're all equal. Um, going back to the question on intent, um, you know, if something happens now, you know it's not racism because we had a black president, so you're fine. Um, <laughs> that's where... So true. Yeah, and that's where, we, that's where we went. And so then that gave rise to these other factions of white resentment that may or may not have then culminated in some of the things that we're seeing recently where there's just been a, there had to be for every step forward of non-white Americans, some people like to then create 10 steps backwards for that same group to make sure you don't, you can step forward, but don't step too close to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like it, it established this like, increase of possessiveness yes um of a nation that wasn't ours to begin <laughs> with. <laughs> so, um but i mean maybe that's a human quality we all need to take a step back and and look inside of ourselves to see where we might be expressing it no i agree so Last last story, Miss Brittany. Do you have anything else for us to, to discuss? 
No, no, not today. Um, so I mean, we could go down a rabbit hole, but we've only got <laughs> so much time in an hour. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. I'm. We're both very good at the rabbit holes. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do have. I don't know. It's it's just thinking of, and we didn't we didn't plan these stories or things we were going to address together. And so it's we're it, really it, bad at doing that. It's FYI. interesting. <laughs> well, I think it's a good thing because it's interesting that your what you found was about civil rights protections being rolled back, and separately, but similarly, I was looking at issues of our civil rights protections and our racial progress not being explicitly rolled back, but like you found, but the way that our progress has gone backwards from a since a certain point and those things go together. And I think that that's really illustrative of how our culture and country works right now is we have these things where we had people making progress and then it's like, no, 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 no that's too fast, like, slow down, slow your roll, and then there's still this push by so many great groups on the ground for progress, and so it's mm -hmm. like, alright, we have this progress, actually, regression happening, but now let's, let's make that law, because we want to make sure we keep them moving backwards, and those things work together and in tandem, and it's just interesting that we independently found basically the same story but different sides of it and so i just thought that was interesting that that's how that turned out and i i like the non-planned non-plannedness of it because it shows that it's really something that's going on i agree hopefully our listeners will agree as well <laughs> <laughs> so um with that i guess i i did want to say I'm glad that we're back doing this. Um, it's been a while since we've recorded a new show. Uh, gosh, the the year uh, went by fast, and then holidays and all of that, and scheduling. So it's good to be back doing this, um, especially for me, just having some things with some personal challenges that have happened since the last time we did this it's good to have some things that feel almost normal so i appreciate it and you and just thought i would say that i appreciate you too <laughs> um and we will be back again next week um and and we will push the we mindset for <laughs> everyone in the state i mean it, it is in the name of the show so we have to do it <laughs> we are contractually obligated to be focused on the we <laughs> i think that's the name focus on the we hmm. <laughs> there we go all right. Well, we will talk to everyone later and hope you have a good rest of your week. The music you hear throughout this recording was produced by Esquire Music alongside Spice Productions. 